All thanks and praise is due to God. We seek God's help and forgiveness. We seek refuge in God from the evil within ourselves and the consequences of our evil deeds. Whoever God guides will never be led astray, and whoever God leads astray will never find guidance. I bear witness there is no God but God, alone, without partners, and I bear witness that Muhammad is God's servant and God's messenger. Hello, sisters. Um, I'd like us to first kind of connect with each other and everybody take a nice exhalation. And as we breathe in, knowing that we are all breathing in the divine breath that connects us all. In 1971, I was in my early 20s, and I had a dream one night. There was this very regal-looking East Indian man standing in front of a white pickup fence, and behind him were just millions of yellow roses. And he was just gazing across the 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 gate of the uh, white picket fence into my eyes. So a few weeks later, a friend of mine, uh, the late Hamza al-Din, who was a uh, master, went to a lecture and bought a book for me he thought I would uh, enjoy. It was on the education of children. And when I opened the book, there was a picture of the man I had dreamed about, and his name was Hazret Inayat Han. And I had never heard of Sufism. I, I was born and raised in Indiana. I'm a Hoosier. I, I had no idea <laughs> what, what Sufism was. But I took the book with me everywhere, and it was I felt like a sponge just Everything I read felt perfect. And I was sitting in an outdoor cafe, reading my book. And a woman came in carrying a brand new baby, and she sat next to me. And when her food came, I offered to hold the baby for her while she ate. So I put my book down, and she said, Oh, my teacher's father wrote that book. So it was then that I discovered that this man that I had dreamed about who had written this book, there was, there was more to it. And he had a son. Uh, the man I dreamed about had been dead for many, many years. Uh, but his son was coming to Los Angeles. So I went to hear Pirvalayat and Nayadhan and... I recognized that I was home. So that was in 1971. Now, the, the Nayati Sufi order is, is a bit different than uh, many uh, tariqas because people are not asked to convert to Islam who, who uh, joined the, the training, but people from different religious backgrounds uh, practice together. 
So it's an interfaith approach to spiritual practice. And in fact, uh, we have, I know several Jewish friends here today, and uh, Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi uh, is, uh, was a, a sheikh in our order, and indeed he founded his own um, Jewish Sufi order in the lineage of Hazar Nair Khan. It's called the Nayati Maimuni Tarakat of Sufi Hasidim. So here I am, I'm being a young woman in this very rich sea of, uh, of diversity. And I'm learning zikr Allah. That's how I came to Sufism was from that dream that I had. And in 1999, I decided I wanted to explore the Islamic roots of Sufism, so I decided to observe Ramadan. And uh, I went to, a friend of mine took me to Omar Khattab Masjid and introduced me to the Imam, and he introduced me to a young Ethiopian woman and so I sat with her and her sisters every night during the month of Ramadan. And they taught me how to pray, how to keep a scarf on my head when I did such da. <laughs> and um, I started thinking that I wanted to convert. And my mind's going, oh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> but then I had a dream where my Sufi teacher sent me to an imam, Dr. Hassan Hatouk. And I understood what that dream meant. So in the night of Laylatul Qadr, I said Shahada in front of about 2,000 people. And as I, that Ramadan, as I read the full Quran for the first time, as I was reading, I would read something and go, oh, that's where Murshid got this. So I, I was grounding my Sufi training in my Islam. And that's when uh, my Sufi practice really came together for me, was, uh, was when I converted. So, Fauth Karuni Kukum Woj Karuli Walla Takfaruni. Therefore, remember me. I will remember you. And be thankful to me and do not be ungrateful to me. So la ilaha illallah, it is the basic statement of faith for Muslims. We say this over and over every day. Uh, again, my Jewish friends that are here will see the similarity of this thought in the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So the zikr is, in Sufi practice, um, divided into two parts. The first part is called the negative zikr, la ilaha illallah, la ilaha. La is no, and ilaha is no god, little g. <clears throat> The, pause, the second part of the zikr, illa, Allah, 
but Allah. So there is no God but God. <clears throat> now, a lot of times when I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, maybe many of you have the habit of doing zikr when you wake up at night. And one night when I was doing the practice of zikr in the middle of the night, I suddenly became afraid. And it was because I didn't exist. I had to go in and wake my son up and say, Hashim, would you get up for just a minute? I need, I need to touch base just a second. So he kind of was going, whoa, what, Mom? <laughs> and uh, that was all I needed, and then I went back to bed. And when I spoke with my Sufi teacher about uh, what had happened, he said that fear is a, a divine protection from us expanding too quickly when we're not ready for it. So I'd like to take a drink of water and then read a poem that I wrote about that experience. In facing fear, we should remind ourselves that even prophets cannot face the holy fear of standing before the one who causes mountains to crumble. In the silence of night, in the depths of remembrance, my focus was shattered by a glimpse that I did not exist. Who was saying la ilaha illallah? A primal fear created by relying on my own deeds closed the door of awareness as a veil of perfect protection. But love of his beauty is a strong draw and courage to return is inspired and encouraged by a message left by the one who knew I must think of the mercy and love of my Lord, give thanks for his grace, and come without fear. Did he not promise that he will remember me if I remember him? And where else should I go but to the heart? For in God, for God in his mercy let us know that is where he can be found. Early morning is, a rely, is reliable in bringing opportunities to efface my fear as I strive to create a soul at peace. I never know when again I might have a chance to not exist and pray my breath is steady as I release what is not God into the only one who exists. So in life we all have shortcomings. We have difficulties that come to us and we have to figure out. We have issues in our character that we uh, work on, on polishing. So we can try to ignore these things. We can be overcome with feelings of unworthiness or we can see this as a divine prompt calling us to unfold what is latent in us. So I'd like to ask us all to think of a, of a situation in your life that you're coping with right now. Perhaps the tendency to judge or a lack of self-esteem, jealousy, anger, whatever it is, we all have those issues. 
So we must seek to understand what is not God in our situation. What do I need to release? What do I need to learn and to become? So we must have balance between being able to look honestly at ourselves and not moving into denial or guilt and missing the opportunity to polish. Denial can be worse than the original problem. So we have to remind ourselves that life is a process. At one point in life, I realized every time I made it through a challenge, I had cultivated better skills at processing life. So the next time something came along, I would have an awareness of the possibility of personal growth before me, which encouraged me to dig deep and face the situation. One of my favorite reminders from the Book of Wisdom by Ibn al-Illa, one of the signs of relying on one's own deeds is the loss of hope when a downfall occurs. So we're told in the Quran over and again that we're going to have difficulties. In uh, Surah Al-Imran 3.26, say, O Allah, master of all the kingship, you give the kingdom to whomever you please. You give honor to whom you please and disgrace to whom you please. All the good is in your hand. Surely you have power over everything. I think of the story of Hagar when she was left in the desert with Ishmael. And in Surah Ibrahim 1437, O our sustainer, Behold, I have settled some of my offspring in a valley in which there is no arable land, close to thy sanctified temple, so that, O our sustainer, they might devote themselves to prayer. Cause thou therefore people's hearts to incline towards them and grant them fruitful sustenance so that they might have cause to be grateful. And then in the Hadith uh, from Bukhari, when Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael reached Mecca, he made her sit under a tree and afterwards returned home. Ishmael's mother followed him, and when they reached Kaaba, she called him from behind. Oh, Abraham, to whom are you leaving us? He replied, I am leaving you to God's care. And she said, I am satisfied to be with God. How many of us can say in the midst of a difficulty, I am satisfied to be with God? How easy it is to fall into feeling the victim or seek to look for someone else to blame as the source of our problems. Well, the unpolished nafs tend to look at things in a poor me kind of a way. And the nafs fight our polishing.
in Surah Al-Imran, we're reminded, so lose not heart, nor fall into despair, for ye must gain mastery if you are true in faith. So when these difficult times come, there's great opportunity. And I'd like to share one of my stories. Someone who had been a close, close friend uh, over a certain situation began speaking against me. And she did it in a very public way in our organization. And it was to the point where it affected the greater community. And when I went uh, to the ethics committee of our organization, they said, oh, you need to, you need to write this up and file a, a complaint. So I wrote pages about the injustice that had happened. And I felt, yeah, this is, this is wrong what she did. I'm going to write it all down here. So when I went to go print this document out to send it to the ethics community, my printer didn't work. And I decided that that was a sign. <laughs> So I began looking at my situation and I realized it wasn't about calling her to task. It was about owning my own experience in this situation and what did I need to do in this situation. I couldn't change her. I could only change myself. So I began a process that took me several years of working to let go of the feelings of hurt and betrayal and coming to forgive her so I could look at my own place and what I had to learn. And you'll find it of interest that this person is the woman that sat down with the baby and told me that the book I was re reading was written by her teacher. So sometimes God may hit us with a stick over the head or in the heart by someone who was close to us. And Sometimes someone close to us is the person that can actually get in close enough to us to make that wound hurt in order to release us to the, uh, the lesson that we have to learn. So it took me so many years where I was able to finally put behind me uh, thinking about this all the time. I was constantly thinking about it. And in one of my uh, Mahasabha practices given to me by my teacher, I was found myself in a certain place thinking, 
thinking about this, and my teacher said, no, this is why the Nafs are so tricky. The Nafs don't want to go and really face the anger that you're feeling. So my teacher guided me to shift the practice how I was doing it. And when I did that, it was like the floodgate opened. And I was, I had to own how angry I was. And, um, and then I was able to really proceed and make some progress. And my teacher gave us a practice to help deal when we have a, a big wound. So maybe you have a big wound. And he said, imagine yourself in the desert and you go out and you dig a hole and you put your situation in that hole and then you smooth it over and then you walk away. So I was like, well, I'll dig a hole and I'll put this in there, but I know what I put in there. And uh, in a short time after... After doing that, I had an opportunity. Someone contacted me for a, a resource, and this person was the right resource to uh, refer them to. So I was able to do that, and I just the fact that I could connect this woman to an opportunity that, that came to me with the request, I saw that there had been movement and that even though I knew what was in the hole when I buried it and I didn't think it was going to work, it was working on me. So over time then, it became a non-issue for me. And then the end of last year, I was sitting outside uh, in the canyon next to my house doing zikr Allah. And my phone rang, and it was this woman, and she was calling to ask for forgiveness. She wanted to tell me why she had done everything, and I said, it doesn't matter. For me, I had my own experience, my own opportunity to learn to forgive, and whatever your experience was, was for you. And so, something such a wound that I, I it was worse than a divorce. <laughs> and now, I am able to be in friendship with this person again. And uh, I am the better person for having gone through it. So we're reminded in Surah, in Shirah, it's 94.5, surely with hardship comes ease. So there came my ease. So I'd like to have us now, we've thought of something that is difficult for us. So now I'd like us to think about something that has been a blessing. God lifts us up. God knocks us down. 
So think of a time when you have been lifted up, maybe when you uh, you had good news about a, a, an opportunity that you've been pursuing. Uh, maybe you got a new job. Maybe you're going to get a makehage. Maybe you've been sick and now you're well. So both of these situations move us through our life, moving us through things that we need to learn, difficulties and blessings. I say what I have said. May God forgive us. Alhamdulillah. So, if we're going to try to use the zikr, the negative and the positive aspects of the zikr to help us in our life, we have to know, without thinking, getting our mind uh, in there to cause uh, confusion. So, how do we focus on what it is that is that? quality that we need to be working on to develop in ourselves or that difficult situation. How do we, how do we, can we do that? So there's a practice of mohasabe, which is self-disclosure, examination of conscience. It's a reflective meditation. <clears throat> a very simple practice that I can share with you uh, to develop this is um, when you're laying down to go to sleep at night, get yourself in a, like a dead man's yoga pose with your body relaxed, close your eyes, and then going back to the morning when you woke up, try to remember everything you thought, said, and did until you find yourself lying in bed doing this practice. Now, we don't remember. Thoughts are the hardest to remember, of course. <laughs> Thoughts, words, now those, those are hard to remember also. Deeds are a little easier to remember. So, but this practice, it's not like you can do it once or for a week. If there's a commitment to doing this practice, what you can find is that suddenly you catch yourself in the midst of thinking something during the day and you go, oh, I don't even, that's, I don't think that way anymore. It's not even accurate. And so it gives you a chance to course correct in the moment. So as you're trying to remember your, your day from morning to that moment, the idea is not to do this in a way of, uh, it's to be a silent witness. And observe yourself, oh, when I did that, I didn't give in to my anger like I usually do when somebody cuts me off getting onto the freeway. So just recognize that you did this. Or, oh, I did it again. I got so mad at that car when they cut me off. So, but we don't do this in a way of 
getting caught into an emotion with it. We're observing it. So you observe when you do better, observe when you don't do better. And then after time, and it, it took me, I can't even tell you how many years I did this practice before I began to get those moments of insight where I would go, oh, wow, and be able to make this slight shift in what I was thinking, maybe what I was doing, what I was saying. So if you have the uh, capacity to take on doing that practice for a long time, a long time, you might find that it can also uh, give you a very good tool to turn into what it is that you need to uh, work with when you're doing the, the zikr and letting go of what and what you want to bring into it. So, but the, the knobs are tricky and they will try to make you avoid going to where it's hard. So, um, just make sure that you don't let your mind get caught into um, thinking it understands it. Uh, keep polishing at it. So after <clears throat> I finish here shortly, we're going to be, after uh, Salat, we're going to be, usually we make a, a circle for uh, a Q&A. And those who would like to join in in doing a, a, a zikr circle, are, are, we're happy to have you uh, in the circle. And if you do not want to be in the circle, that's okay too. You can choose to sit uh, in the back or on the side and uh, do your own silent zikr Allah. So... <clears throat> I'm going to just say the zikr once here and how we're going to say it. Uh, and then I'll do it again as we gather. So as we do the first part, the negative zikr, la ilaha. We're going to be taking a step backwards and leaning over slightly with the idea of emptying. I, I see my heart as a chalice and that I'm emptying whatever is in it. And then stepping forward, il Allah, filling myself, filling the chalice of my heart with the divine will. La ilaha in Allah. La ilaha. And we're going to do that 33 times. And at the end, I'll say al-fatiha. And we can all offer al-fatiha together. And then we can have our Q&A circle form. God commands justice, doing good and generosity towards relatives and God forbids what is shameful, blameworthy, and oppressive. God teaches you so that you may take heed.
and this is a prayer that uh, the head of my Sufi order offers after doing zikr Allah. O Lord, you have asked us to remember you, and we have remembered you within the limitations of our bodies, hearts, and souls. Will you remember us in the infinitude of thy divine compassion and wisdom? Amen. It's now time to perform the prayer.